Over the years, I've had the privilege of riding BMW motorcycles all over the world. And the one thing I've come away with is that the only thing more extraordinary than the ride are the people you meet along the way. These are their stories. My name is Sean Thomas, and this is BMW Motorrad's Ride and Talk. I've never had my Adirondack <laughs> chair look that small. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you should see me on GS. <laughs> we all know the exhilaration that comes from riding a motorcycle. But what does it mean to ride fast, so fast even, that you become a world record-holding motorcycle rider? Well, today we're sitting down with Aaron Sills and Trev Richter of Hunter Sills Racing. Together, Aaron and Trev take us through what it takes to prepare themselves and their BMW motorcycles for riding on salt flats in the United States and Bolivia, and what it feels like to hold an unbeatable record. I've been thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about fastest people on earth like <laughs> two of the fastest people on earth and i gotta ask you like when you put your name in at a restaurant do you put that because if i had that title like reservation for two for the fastest people the fastest people on earth, <laughs> like how could you not do that well, every single time i love embarrassing aaron if we're at an airport or a restaurant there they're looking at her, and I'm like, do you know who she is? And she's like elbowing me, stop, stop. I'm like, no, seriously. And people behind the counter then will be starting to key in and kind of yeah. listen. And I'm like, Google Aaron Sills. And she's like elbowing me, please stop, please stop. And then the people behind the counter, their eyes get super huge. And they're like, wait, that's her. Yeah. I tell them, like, if you're famous... Nobody has to say you're famous. I can't be that famous if you have to tell people. <laughs> like, you know, well, like, I don't know. Tom Cruise walks into a restaurant. They're like, oh, that's Tom Cruise. Well, I walk in. They don't know me. Therefore, I'm not famous. Like, if you have to tell people, I don't know that I'm that famous. In this world, you are. <laughs> yeah, definitely true. Land speed racing isn't like, something that really makes you famous very often. I'd say it's, the, it's one of the little known most extreme sports on the planet, which is why I like talking about it because people, unless you grew up watching the wide world of sports and seeing it covered, seeing Speed Week back when I was a kid, my dad watched it. Yeah. But they don't really cover it that much anymore. So mm. unless you, mm. you know, hear us evangelizing about it, people are like, "Wait, what is that? What do you what do you do?" And then they say, "Well, how hard is it to go fast in a straight line?" Like, "Well, it's not hard to go fast in a straight line. It's just really hard to be the fastest." <laughs> so good luck with that. <laughs> but, but, and there, there is technique to it. I mean, you're not just getting on a bike and hammering down. There absolutely is technique to it. There are so many things that we can do wrong to mess it up. And to get a record, we have to be perfect. Yeah. And we have to yeah. be perfect multiple times. Right. I'm getting excited about digging in, but we, we got to back up a little bit first. So the first time I met you, and I don't know if you remember, but I was working at a dealership and, and you come sauntering in with your gear and um, you were with your late husband, yeah. Andy. Yeah. And I think, I think he was trading it up. A bike that was he had a k1200 gt i think that would make sense yeah yes. and, and and i didn't know anything about the two of you other than that you were just bright shiny people that came <laughs> came in and and lit up the room and and that's were you land racing back then we started land speed racing in 2004 mm. and i remember you i think as i well, certainly at the at the dealership and um, Andy would have been on some K bike, I'm sure. And yeah. he was five, three, uh, but he walked like a six foot five, you know, he entered a room like a six foot five person. Yeah, there's a photo of him, like <laughs> literally like holding onto a stop sign post and holding his body 
sideways like la- <laughs> like he's like a flag in the wind and he, he was just he was as strong as he was small and strong and he always rode big bikes so in fact that's how i i learned how to ride was being a passenger in a pillion with him on a k 1200s and a, for about a year i rode as a pillion <clears throat> and he would tell me everything he's doing as he's doing it and why and if you're 5'3 and you're riding a bigger bike, you have to think ahead a little bit further and plan ahead a little bit mm. further. So he had techniques and, and rules for why he was doing what he was doing. And he would tell me about those. Some point, you know, there's a lot of conversation. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. I got it. I know. We pulled into the right here and I know why. But he told me for that year what he was doing and why. And that's how I learned how to ride. And then I got on the front of the bike. And from there on out, I was... I was done being a passenger. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, you were riding cool. before then. Like you, you were as a kid. No, I, I had my license when I moved to San Francisco in 1999, but I would say I wasn't, and I thought I was a good rider, hmm. um, but I actually learned to really ride when, when I met Andy uh, and started um, sport touring rider, riding. So yeah. sport touring across the country. Um, you know, we had we had some time on our hands, and so we would just put all kinds of miles crisscrossing Nevada, <laughs> Highway 50, the loneliest highway in America. Um, <clears throat> and that's when I really started riding. So Later on, then, you, you got into riding, and, but, but there's had to be this giant leap to go from, I'm casually riding and I'm learning some techniques, and then suddenly you're... Like you're going fast. <laughs> they had something on the Bonneville, they still do have something on the Bonneville Salt Flats called the Run What You Brung. And I went up with Andy in 2004, and he and I both rode our motorcycles onto the salt. And when I found out they had this Run What You Brung, and I had to do some minor safety inspections on my bike and make sure I had the right gear, and then you could just all out, open it up and go. And as soon as I did that, I'm like, okay, on the whole ride home, I'm like, all right, what race bikes are we going to get? Because I'm not coming up here again without a proper race bike. And we need two of them, by the way, because as Trev will will acknowledge now too, you need, if you're going to have two racers, you need two bikes because it's not, it's not a, you don't, you can share, but you know, you both want to be on it at the same time. (laughs) So the two of you decided at the same time. We're going to do this. Mm-hmm. We're going to go ride fast. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. And and Andy had read an article. Uh, the San Jose BMW dealership was building a purpose-built race bike. And he read an article in a magazine. And he showed up at the dealership and said, hey, I'm here for the job. And Chris, the owner of the dealership at the time, said, uh, well, you know, are you a mechanic? Are you a service person? He's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pilot that race bike. <laughs> Chris looked at him like, well, okay, well, that's interesting because... No, you're not. But by the way, what makes you think you're qualified for it? And he says, well, first of all, I'm the right size because he was small. But second of all, I've got more experience with these bikes going super fast. Let's just call it highway speed (laughs) than anyone in the country because I this is what I do. I go out to Nevada and I rip highway 50. Anyway, it was a great conversation. And Chris and Andy became friends. But Chris said, well, my mechanic who's built the bike is going to race it. So I'm sorry. Well, about a week before the event, Andy got a phone call from Chris, and Chris said, well, my mechanic's wife is pregnant, and she's going to deliver any minute, oh. and he is grounded and can't leave like can't leave this, the city. And Andy's like, awesome, I'm in. And so he went up and raced that, and I went with him to crew, and that's when the whole like run with your brunk thing and when it all started. This is, it's such a shock to me to meet somebody like you who 
you would think that with all the success that you've achieved, that you were born for it <laughs> and you groomed for it for decades and you weren't. You just went and rode and said, I want more of this. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you progress like any other sport. So the first time I rode, I probably went 150 miles an hour and thought uh, that was crazy fast. Yeah. And then I've worked my way up in the, the 17 years that I've been, been doing it, um, work my way up probably 10 miles an hour at a time. And that, that last mile per hour is always the hardest yeah. one to get to, but it's certainly a skill. So I, I want to fast forward a little bit and we're going to, we're going to touch on that again, but it's 2015 and I called you up on the phone and said, I need you to go to this off-road school. <laughs> I was working, I was working for Rawhide Adventures at the time. Trev was working for Rawhide Adventures at the time in Colorado. And, and so you show up and so we all meet, right? And, and we, we shove Aaron into the, the off-road world and, and you had, I mean, pi, you were born to ride off-road, right? I mean, you've been groomed for that. I, <laughs> yeah, right. I remember the phone call. I remember talking to you. Uh, I was in my car driving to work and you'd called and had prevented, presented me with an invitation to come to Rawhide. And I'd never been on the dirt in my life. Um, I have a GS, but I, I just thought that if you go onto the dirt, you're going to break a collarbone. So why would anybody want to do that? <laughs> but I was in a mode of, of, Andy had recently died and I was in a mode of saying yes to, to all these invitations that, that were coming up. So I just said yes, not really knowing what I was getting into. And I, it's the first time I'd ever been in the dirt, um, continued to, to ride as much dirt as I can now, actually. Yeah. And it's interesting because you were a street rider. You got interested in riding uh, fast which really, I mean, the salt flats, you're riding off road. Yeah. It's, it's a variable condition in terms of the, the salt. It can be, it, it is, it can be as firm as asphalt, but it's always got a little bit of salt on top of it, or mm. it can be relatively moist, in which case we're not going to set a record, but mm. it is something where I found that learning the dirt skills and becoming comfortable with the motorcycle moving around underneath me mm. and not trying to control it in, in that regard, but rather let that little bit of movement happen allowed me to relax at a 200 mile an hour speed and become a better racer. 200 miles an hour, 242 miles. 200. An hour. And this is now we're not talking just going fast. We're talking world record speeds. Um, yes. So the bikes that, uh, my team and I are racing now are BMW S 1000 RRs mm. and we have two of them. One is outfitted with nitrous. So, and the other one is naturally aspirated. <sighs> and so we're racing those now to progressively higher and higher speeds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now not to be outdone, you know, Trev here is riding, um, off an off-road instructor as well. You get dragged into this. And, and I remember you like going, I kind of want to, see what I could do. Of going, course. Going fast, not just going fast on any bike though. Of course. You wanted to go fast on a GS. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to tell us like, where did this come from? So that initial training class where we all met Aaron, I, we became friends and through the years she introduced, Hey, I, I would go to Bonneville. I would help out. I would send her off the line. I would be there at the end to pick up the bike and in the back of my mind the entire time, it's like, I want to do this. I've always wanted to do this. I've done some legal-ish speeds on my <laughs> bikes that I've had through the years. And seeing the Bonneville and being there and watching how the races are performed and the safety and everything around it and just being able to go as fast as you possibly can, as the machine and the conditions will allow you, 
I, have, I always wanted to try that. So as an introduction, Aaron's like, hey, so what bike do you want to race? It's like something that nobody else has done. Yeah. So my current bike, the only bike I own is a GS, 1200 GS. And I was like, you know what? Let's do this. So we wanted to do something special with it. Not only see how fast the bike could go and a weird kind of option to race at Bonneville and do it for a good cause. So I work with the organization as, as a dirt coach for them, motorcycle relief project, which yeah. is a great, great thing, helping vets and first responders with, uh, PTSD and the issues that they face with that. So international too. Yeah. They, they work with everybody around the world. Yeah. yeah. And it, incredible, incredible organization. So if you haven't check them out, but the idea behind the world's fastest GS was get me my intro into racing on yeah. the salt and the dirt like we do and for the good cause. So we would raise awareness for MRP yeah. and at the end of the bike's career, once we raced it and got it as fast as possible, then we would donate that bike to them. So now every time I go back to coach one of the week long rides that they do, I get to ride my old race bike, which is <laughs> epic. So you really the GS in, in ways is, is kind of a, the, a good fit for land speed racing just because of the terrain. I mean, it is a, exactly you're, you're riding off road. Exactly. And I, there's this impression that when you think of the salt flats, that there's some big strip of, of concrete out there that you're riding on. And that just, it's not at all. No. But help us understand what is it out there? What is it like showing up? What is the material like? What is the, what are you looking for? Walk us through. <clears throat> there are events that are put on, um, typically in August and September, and you prepare for 51 weeks of a year in order to race for one mm -hmm. um, uh, at these events, week-long events. And um, they will create a course for us anywhere from 5 to 11 miles long. Yeah. And to set a record, it's the average speed over the middle mile. So you're not just, it's not like a drag race where you're just hitting, and no, not to be disparaging to drag racers, yeah. but it's not, it's not a point-in-time measurement. Rather, it's the average over a mile. So if you do the math, if you're, averaging 200 miles an hour, you're at 200 miles an hour for 18 seconds mm. and you have to do it twice. So Dicker. that's 36 seconds at just for 200 miles an hour. So wow. if you're somebody who likes speed, like Trev and I do, it can become addictive because Very. you get to ride fast for a long period of time. So they will grade a course for us and um, mark that course off. Um, and then they will do their best to continue to make that as raceable as possible over the course of the week because certainly things can um, divots can happen in the course but they mm. groom it every night um, and mm. there is a sanctioning body so there's a starter and officials and just the, the same sanctioning bodies that work with moto gp for example um, work with us at the the salt flats and when the course is yours the course is yours and there's no one else you're not racing next to a person next to you on a track you're racing against history so you're trying to go as fast as possible for a certain size and style of motorcycle and faster than anyone in history has done it and men and women race equally against one another so there aren't records for women and records for men um, and mm. it is an exhilarating exhausting exciting <laughs> experience all wrapped up in one Tell me what we're doing here to prepare motorcycles, both technologically and in terms of just putting them out on salt. So to talk about the surface, what it's like, 
like Aaron said, it can be as hard as asphalt or concrete with a layer of kind of fine sand on the top of it. Or if it's wet, it could actually, I've made a pass and it was like riding in mashed potatoes. Wow. It was soupy. It was slick. It was kind of like riding in mud and fighting the bike and the conditions or the terrain the entire time. So to set up a bike, you need a lot of power. You need a lot of aerodynamics to help get you through the wind and you need to get that power to the ground. Mm. So you can have a bike with Aaron's nitrous bike has 250 horsepower. Wow. And that's all well and good. But if you can't make that power stick to the ground, it's useless because we both have spun been in the mile at 200 plus miles an hour and the back tires start spinning and it's just normal. And you're fighting the traction control, you're fighting the terrain, you're fighting everything. And for us, it's okay, that was a bad run because the, the bike spun and mm. we lost a little bit of speed. So in order to kind of counteract that, kind of like riding off-road, you A, adjust the tire pressure. Mm. So the more you can get the tires to grab the ground, that's one thing. And another thing is add weight to the bike. So mm. we literally, in the current race bikes, in the rear swing arm of a S1000RR, that's hollow. So we close up all the ports and put a hundred pounds of lead shot in the swing arm. Whoa. So these bikes are actually heavier than a standard bike where road racers want the less speed to get the power so you can cut through the curves and all that. In land speed, we need extra weight. Last year we had, when we were racing, we had another team show up with another double R. It's like, oh, cool. Come to find out, they're ILMAN TT racers, and they brought one of their TT bikes over. Ah, and we are all Eric Wilson, who races an S1000RR2. Yeah. Mm. And we're sitting in line waiting to start one of our runs, and they come up and, like, um, can we ask you some questions? And our bikes make this much horsepower, and how are you guys putting these speeds down? How, how are you doing this? And it's like, we start asking different questions. What do you got for the motor? What have you done here? It's like, have you put any ba- ballast on it? what's that mate he's like uh extra weight he's like well yeah we're spinning like crazy yeah so are we but guess what well in the 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 platform and i've i've been racing the s1000rr platform since 2014 Mm. and actually before that since 2013 and it's been it's the best out of the box bike for what we're doing and as Mm. trev mentioned we need aerodynamics power and traction and it's it's great at everything just out of the box and what we do then as trev mentioned adding ballast to it we work with the um, race fairing to try to make it as aerodynamic as possible and then we will um, port and polish the inside of the motor and Mm. we will take the complete bike apart after an event and redo like clean everything from it um make literally take the motor apart make sure everything is again polished and ready for the for the next for the next race there's a huge team here this is not showing up with a bike in a trailer and just rolling it off and and going out on your own you've you've got people that are i I learned in my career to know what you're good at and then bring in people who can do what you can't and get out of their way. And sometimes I'm good at the getting out of their way and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I think I'm in charge, but most of the time I'm not. So we, yes, we have uh, Shane Kanderis, who is out of Australia. He runs the BMW uh, Superbike team in Australia and he's my motor tuner. Mm. And Curtis Tom is my chassis mechanic. He's also a Moto America chassis mechanic. And then Gary Orr, who owns BMW of San Diego. Mm. And that team, um, are the, they, are the, they and Trevor are the only ones that are allowed to touch 
the bikes because mm. um, I just, I, I don't want, I want to be sure of everything. Our lives are on the line. This is an extreme sport. So you want to make sure that everything is done properly. So thankfully we've been with that team since, since 2013. Yeah. Fantastic. And you, you're out there competing. You're, you're breaking records. And there's lots of teams out there doing lots of things to try to break a record. And, and there's, from somebody on the outside looking in, you would think that that means that there's a lot of um, hard competition and maybe an attitude of competitiveness between you and the other teams. But I get the impression that it's pretty light out there. Oh, yeah. Even, yeah. even somebody running, so the different classes. You could have two-cylinder, four-cylinder, uh, 1,000cc, 1,350, blown, turbo, alcohol, fuel. There's, so there are so many different classes of bikes. There are people out there have records on a 50cc scooter, and to make it blown, they threw a turbocharger under the seat. And it's like, well, it's got a turbo on it. It yeah. doesn't have to work, but they've, set, they've literally, there are people out there setting records at 13 miles an hour, and that's huge for what they're doing. Yeah. What we're doing even if it's somebody's on the same bike and hey, we need a sprocket, we need this. Even though they are competition, it is kind of like a family. Everybody out there wants to help each other and they're, they'll put it out over the radio. Hey, so-and-so needs a, a chain. And if we happen to have a chain, hey, come on over, we'll give the chain. So everybody wants to see everybody succeed and do as best as they possibly can. So that's kind of the, the cool part about it. Now, I have witnessed people getting super, super upset of, oh man, they just took my record. But Aaron set a record once on the production bike. And one of our really close friends is runs a Honda, same size, same going after the same record. He's like, I wanted you to break the record, but I didn't want you to do it by 20 miles an hour because now there's no way I can beat that. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is something where, um, and a lot of motorcycling, you, you, we self-select into it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, there's camaraderie also in off-road riding. If you're a GS rider and you see somebody on the trail, you're, you're going to say hello. If you're at, you're a motorcyclist and you see someone at another motorcycle in a gas station, you're probably going to say hello because you've self-selected yourself you, 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 into this position, into this sport. And it's the same thing with land speed racing. If we've found the way to get there and we're driven to be there in some way, whether it's being competitive Mm. or like me, I saw it as a kid on the wide world of sports, whatever it is that drew you there, you have that in common with all these other people. So I've found, and, and Trev found this as well, we might just spend one week a year with these people and the other teams but they will very quickly become family. And mm. so we've been to our friend's weddings that are, we only know on the salt. We've never been to their house. They live in Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> but we are dear friends because we, we share that camaraderie and that breathing of relatively rare air that finds ourselves there. So you're out there seeking to break records. And those records generally, you know, there's always going to be another year and there's going to be another opportunity for you or someone else to come and break it. But you do hold an unbreakable record. You have a record that will, will be yours forever. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the, um, so the records that we set are typically American or national or world records sanctioned by the AMA and the FIM. 
there's also this thing called the Guinness World Book, which I'm sure people are, are familiar with. And the Guinness World Book has the craziest records in, in of all kinds of things. I'm, if you've seen people with, <laughs> you know, the juggling Rubik's Cube person who just had a world record juggling the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> anyway, um, so at one point, Andy and I decided that as a means by which to hope to expand the sport of land speed racing, we would see if people could race two at a time on a motorcycle, so tandem. And because we didn't want the stereotypical man in the front, woman in the back, and you have to take two passes, we did it with Andy in the front and me in the back for the qualifying run, and then the other way around, me in the front and Andy in the back for the return run. And we knew there's no class for this for SCTA or AMA or FIM, but what what the heck, Guinness might think this is kind of an interesting record. So we were at an event and got permission from the event uh, organizers to do this two up pass for Guinness world book record. And so, yes, we are the fastest Andy Sills and I are the fastest two people simultaneously on a motorcycle at 182 miles an hour. (laughs) But when this, when the race organizers saw the, literally me holding on the back of the the motorcycle the s1000rr and how fast we were going they quickly shut it down and said no more you get your record but this is never going to happen again and so yeah we're the fastest two people simultaneously on a motorcycle in the guinness world book but no one will ever be allowed to try that silly act again (laughs) so yeah i think that'll be a a record in perpetuity so you're up you're on the salt flats you roll the bike up in in preparation for a go. Can you take us to that moment? What is happening? What's the hustle bustle around you? So the hustle and bustle as you're waiting in line, you're just kind of like hanging out with your friends and not really doing much with the bikes because they're pretty much set up and ready to go. Mm. The last minute checks, so you get five to 10 vehicles in front of you. You offload the bike off the trailer. You get it on a stand. You check the tire pressure. You warm it up. You start doing a heat cycle. So Mm. you warm the bike up and just let it completely get up to temperature and then shut it down. Mm. Um, Say two vehicles, two bikes ahead of you. Then you're running the bike. You're trying to get the heat staying in there. At that point, we have our gear on, our helmets on, our gloves on. We are ready to go. And at that point, the hustle and bustle is you're at the start line. You have the the starters that are, there's two lanes typically. one person starting each lane and they'll go alternate back and forth. You have a massive crowd of people because everybody wants to see the vehicles or the bikes take off, which is kind of cool. So everybody's taking pictures and, um, typically we're, if we're up at that point, it's usually hot as Hades out there on the salt Mm. because all that heat and everything's reflecting up. Mm. So we're sitting in the, in the truck, that's pulling the trailer with our full gear on with an air conditioner vent blowing straight in our face to try and cool us down. So we each have a different way of, as we start a race. But for me personally, I will get on the bike. It's my turn to go. And the biggest part for me, it's like, okay, which side of the course am I going to go down? Talk to people, this side's smooth. This side's got some bumps and my gear's on. I'm ready to go. We put the lanyard on, which is a safety device. If we get separated from the bike, it will kill the engine and it doesn't keep running. So I'm ready to go. And my big thing is I'm listening to music as I'm running. So ah. I can't literally put my phone in my, and I can't have a, a comms device on the outside of the helmet because they're worried about drag and any of that. So I have earbuds in and my last minute checklist is, okay, 
yes, my song is playing. Erin will usually hit the play button and it's playing. She'll tuck it in my jacket pocket, zip me up, snap the top. And then the starter gives you a thumbs up. You give them a thumbs up. You shut your visor on your helmet and take off. I, I thought for sure you were going to talk about like lucky underwear. Oh, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> he listens to music. I'm all about earplugs and I'll be sitting, uh, getting ready to go. And I'm running through the, the, the pass in my head and mm. thinking about how to do everything per- perfectly and running through because you, you do, especially running the nitrous bike, there are many safety aspects to the nitrous system. One of which is for example, if you're at any point less than a hundred percent throttle, once you're in the nitrous, then it will turn the nitrous off. Ah. If you shift too early, if you shift too late, there are all these precautions that could really mess up a run. So I'm in the, I'm in our, our chase vehicle with my gear on ready to go, the air conditioning blowing into my helmet and I'm running through the, the race and he's there figuring out what he wants to listen to as his go song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there, there certainly are some, you know, there are some routines and things there yeah. are, you know, Curtis will say certain things to me. Trev will say certain things to me that are the, you know, hey, you didn't say that in the right order. Say it again. Yep. Have fun. <laughs> go fast. See you at the end. Whoa. Okay. So some somewhere along the lines, you get a signal to go. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, you said 100% throttle, but on, on the salt flats, I mean, are you really, you pinning it at the start? No. Okay. N- no, because we the other thing we have to manage is traction. And so if we spin up too quickly, then we're going to get into our traction control too early. And that's going to also uh, ruin the run for us. And you mentioned traction control. And that's very interesting to me because... There's a mindset that once you get at that level of riding that you're not using tech like traction control, but it really is important. It completely is. Um, There are times where, I mean, if you're not, if you don't have traction control active on the bike and on the, on the S1000RR, you can adjust the level of traction control. Mm -hmm. We have, we call it a double R. It's basically that in of just a few aspects. It looks like it, it's the same motor, all that, but we change out the race dash, the, the hand controls, the mm. foot control, everything is different. So it's set up as a full like MotoGP bike. Um, but with the traction control, yes, you are using that to help you. Cause like Aaron said, the, the course is slick and we can adjust the traction control in a way that at 200 miles an hour, you hit a soft spot, the back tire starts breaking loose. It will do its job. Mm give you more traction so you can get more traction to keep going and we rely on that and you can actually hear it it's kind of cool because you can be at the start line and the and the time mile is five miles away and you can hear it when a bike's traction control goes on because it has this cool little pop 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 as it goes yeah and you can tell okay the traction control came on the naturally aspirated bike it doesn't really affect it as much. We can use that to help us go faster through that mile. Mm-hmm. On the nitrous bike, like Aaron said, one of the safety features is if the traction control is activated, it will kill the nitrous. Mm-hmm. And then you wait and wait and wait for that run. And once the nitrous is out, guess what? You're going to be going as fast as you can then. And then the, the run's over. Wow. Cussing in your helmet. <laughs> <laughs> no, over the music in no. some cases. <laughs> exactly. So you, the, you get this signal to go. You start spooling up. You're not hammer down you got a long way to go and you're picking up speed a little at a time and and there is far more technique involved in getting this bike up to speed than i think is implied it's it's it is very tricky and we have to do it perfectly again we're racing against history so we have to do we have to be perfect in our aerodynamic we have to be perfect in how we get that power to the ground and how we apply it and so it's a it's a fine balance to get on it 
quickly enough where we can we're typically at our peak speed by mile two Hmm. Um, and we have to be on it quickly enough to get to that so that we can get into the perfect aerodynamic position and once you're in that you're in six gear you're pinned at 100 percent throttle you are staring at the the mountain that is miles and miles ahead because that's the only thing you really see because you're the course is going by so quickly in periphery that you don't want to be looking at a flag Mm. first of all because just you're going to go where you look. Yeah. You don't want to run into a I've flag. I've heard that. But you're, you're, and the course is not wide, It is, and there are flags every quarter mile. So those are going by in your periphery. You're staring at a mountain. You're making sure you're in six gear. You're at 100% throttle, and then you are as small as you can physically get. So mm-hmm. you're, what's running through my mind is, are my, are my elbows tucked in? Can my, are my toes tucked in? Am I, are my knees tucked in? Can I get lower? Can I flatten my back out more? How can I get smaller? And at the same time, you're going over 200 miles an hour in six gear at 100% throttle staring at a mountain, and you need to know where you are on the course. Did I just blow out the back end of the course? In which case, you need to know when to slow down. So there are many, many things that are going through your mind as you're you're racing. And then when when you've gone through that and you say, all right, and by the way, there's wind, um, Mm -hmm. and at... 200 miles an hour on a race bike that has a fairing that can behave like a sail. That's a whole other skill in itself. Mm. And it can be something where even a two or a three mile an hour wind, um, can have a big effect on these bikes. And so I've had passes. We had a very windy year last year and I've had passes where I'm at a pretty big lean angle at 200 miles an hour (laughs) or more. Um, and the wind will change along the course because of the way the mountains are. It, it can be zero at the start. It can be three in the time mile. It can be seven in between, and it can come from different directions. Yeah. So you're at the same time you're saying, all right, where am I, where, where am I on the course? I'm in six gear. I'm a hundred percent throttle. Can I get smaller? Can I get smaller? And then a gust of wind comes along and then you're dealing with that. <laughs> so you finish a run and, and they're averaging out, for two runs, you have to maintain a certain speed in order to hit the record. So there is a duration of time where you finished your second run and you don't know how you've done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like you're staring at your instruments. You got to look where you're going. Yeah. So do you even know what speed you've hit? So the bikes are set up in kilometers an hour. So mm. we can look at the dash and see how fast we're running. So like Aaron said, in that moment of how small can I make myself, can I move around? Mm. I'm literally staring at the dash, watching the speed to see, okay, if I arch my back, hey, I gained a couple. And if I move forward, I lost a couple. So I'll, I will literally look at it. But at the end, I, I can't do the math plus everything else in my head that's going on at that same time to know, oh, that was 212.3. It yeah. doesn't happen. So like to your point, yes, we will get out of the run, We'll get off the course and we're sitting there. It's like, I just did it. I just did it. Last year, I was trying to better one of Aaron's records and I was missing it by thousands. Oh, down to a thousandth of a second. I promise I really was trying to help him. I really was. (laughs) I was. So, yes, there is that time and we can go from 215 miles an hour, get off the course within a mile. Mm and stop the bike they'll have somebody a safety person is out at the end of the course they'll stop by hey you good you need water any of that in that moment we're shutting the bike off we're taking our helmet and gloves off and then we have to wait because not only is it the fastest place on the earth to race for the bikes but it's the support trucks we joke about it all the time 
Mm. Bonneville is a hurry up and wait place. Mm. So we just went 215 miles an hour on a run. We're parked at the end and our support truck can only drive 45 miles an hour for six to seven miles. So I'm literally sitting at the end playing with music. I'm texting. Hey, that was a great run. And as they're pulling up in the support truck, you, you're looking for their face. Yeah. And they, I can just see it from now. It's like Hawkeye vision. I can see it from three quarters of a mile. And it's like, oh, man, you were so close. <laughs> and, and it's like either that or you see the arm from a mile yeah. away. Like you just did it. You just did it. And so it is pretty epic. There's, there's a video of you. Uh, I, I think it's a 360 video. And you're, you're tucked in on your bike and you're flying on the track mm -hmm. and it's just amazing. And you stop and you're just sitting there waiting around and you hear somebody in the background sort of mumbling, you did it, you did it. You're like, you got it. And you're like, did I, did I get it? Did I, did I get the record? Did I get it? That was actually in Bolivia. Um, that actually was the, the pass where I went 237 miles an hour and I beat um, my late husband's record by one mile an hour. And I had the honor of actually having Ralph Hudson, who's the world's fastest sit on motorcyclist, be the one to tell me that I went 237 because he had just made a pass yeah. and then I made my pass. And so Ralph came over and I've got earplugs in and he says do you want me to tell your speed and I said yeah but I have earplugs in so yell it okay you want me to yell your speed to you yes and he said 237 and I just lost it in happiness <laughs> this is very interesting you know uh, Andy Sills your late husband such an amazing man that I had the honor of knowing and he brought you you decided together to do this but he brought you into motorcycles in a way that you hadn't been before he was a driving force for so many people and, and he passed and it would have been so easy to walk away from all of the things that the two of you were connected with. So easy. Everybody would have understood that. And you didn't, you went after it. And then somewhere along the line, not only did you go after it, but you beat his record. <laughs> like, and that's, that's so it's beautiful, but it's kind of maybe a little bittersweet. I mean, where, where was your head at with that? Oh, it wasn't bittersweet at all. There's there, he was no, there was no bigger fan than, mm. than Andy of my racing. And I'm pretty sure that he is, um, well, I know that he was very happy for me to beat his record because he always was. So I, I could have left motorcycling and that would have been an obvious thing, but I feel like the motorcycle community really gave me a, a bear hug, <laughs> if yeah. you will. And um, look, that's how I met Trev. That's how I met all of you. I mean, Sean, you and I knew one another, but I didn't know Louise. I didn't know Trev. And so many other great people have come into my life and support what Andy and I were doing. And so I can't, I, uh, he, he would have been very happy <laughs> with yeah. me breaking his record for sure. No question. <laughs> and this is not the end. There is more coming You've got a, you got some pretty exciting races ahead of you. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. So you're going to drive this land missile. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so t tell us a little bit about that, Trev. What are you doing? Um, I got the opportunity to, and was chosen to pilot a streamliner, which is think of a rocket on two wheels with, or a glider plane with no wings. Mm. It's 28 feet long. It has a custom one off they literally designed four cylinder turbocharged three liter 505 horsepower motor wow. um, the transmission the transmission and the motor were completely designed and built specifically for this streamliner so 23 feet long weighs 1600 pounds it the the only controls in it you steer it with f4 
fighter pilot or fighter jet control sticks. Um, kind of like you Whoa. push them forward and back. That's how you steer it. And I will literally sit in, oh, it's uh, 28 inches wide, 28 inches off the ground. It's 22 inches wide and 23 feet Whoa. long. Yeah, he's, it's, Chev's, it's Trev's shoulders plus half an inch wide. <laughs> On each side, yes. <laughs> wow. Um, and so, it's a motorcycle because it has two wheels. Otherwise, mm, it doesn't look like a motorcycle, yeah, it, but it, it, it looks, is. It looks like a glider with no wings. So I will basically be trying to go after the record of the world's fastest motorcycle. Again, the team, it's called the Bub 7 Streamliner. This one's the Bub 7.1. Dennis Manning is the builder and owner and the brains behind this. And uh, he held the record for probably 10 years as the fastest motorcycle. And then they, another team took that away from him. Then he got it back. Then they took it away. Mm-hmm. And Dennis has been thinking of only this for the last 12 years. And I was chosen to be the, the person inside the bike to make it the world's fastest motorcycle again. So he has to go faster than 376 miles per hour on a motorcycle. 300. Can we, Louise, what's the math? What is that in kilometers oh, yeah. for the rest a, of the world? A lot. It's a lot. It's, <laughs> like, I'm not sure. It's, it's, uh, it's over 500 kilometers an hour. I, I did figure it out. It's 605 kilometers an hour. 605 that's, kilometers that's an hour. That's yeah. the current record right now at 376 miles an hour. I need to go faster than that to wow. get the record back. The ultimate goal is actually 400 miles an hour. Aaron, what do you? We're going to see some more out of you in land speed racing. Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. I'm not ready to retire yet. I am excited to be part of the crew to help Trev break the world's fastest record. So I'm very happy about that. I also will be racing my nitrous S1000RR and my naturally aspirated S1000RR to try to improve on the records that I've already set. So <sighs> I'm not ready to retire yet. We very much look forward to seeing more. <laughs> Thank How you. can we follow you? Oh, let's see. Well, first of all, subscribe to womenridersnow.com. So mm-hmm. that's one. Number two is follow Hunter Sills Racing on Instagram, Facebook. We'll be posting about uh, our racing and, of course, keeping everybody posted about Trev on the Bub 7.1. Going to be so awesome. Going to be incredible. Absolutely the best of luck to you. Thank you. Get out Thank there you. and show us how it's done. Oh, yeah. Will do. Rock on. Rock on.